everyone. Thank you, Timo, and uh, the team for worship this morning. And um, a special welcome if you're visiting. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's good to be able to come and share. I've been going through a little bit of a series recently. I started a few weeks back talking about the gospel, the good news, and why it's good news. I talked about um, the good news that we need salvation and that that salvation is free. It's not gained by our own works. It's not about us trying to work our way um, into God's good books, but he has freely offered it to us. And we talked about grace. Um, that we, it's not about being good and working our way up. And I talked last week about the invitation of love and about how God has invited us into his love. And the good news of the gospel is about love. It's not about fear. Um, it's not about um, an angry God. It's about a God who loves and has always loved and has invited humanity into that loving relationship. So um, I want to continue on with that. And I want to ask this question. I want to answer this question this morning um, with this um, whole thought. What are we saved from? If we're saved, then we must be saved from something. Um, do I get an amen in the, in the room? Thank you. You know, we can talk about grace and love. We can talk about how great, you know, God is and, and how wonderful he's been in saving us. But if we don't ask the question, what are we saved from? Then in many respects, it's kind of like, well, um, what, what are we really talking about? And um, I'm just, I'm going to read a lot from the Bible and the verse will come up at the bottom, but the, the, the reference, but you can, you can look these up. John 3.16 to 21, Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he um, has not believed in the name of the Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. The people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. And just so if you don't know this, when Jesus talks about evil, when the Bible talks about evil, evil means anything that is an alternative to God's way. We think evil is those who have done the most despicable things. But God sees us, everyone who does things that he doesn't agree with. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So there's a lot there, so I just want to pick out some of these things. Um, there is a need for salvation, Jesus said, that the world might be saved. There is a love from God offering salvation, for God so loved the world. There's a perishing of those who will not put their faith, not trust and rely on Jesus, as it says, that he loved um, whoever believes him should not perish. Uh, there's a promise of eternal life, he mentions, that they but have eternal life. There's a condemnation already on mankind. He said Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world. Um, he said because they are, uh, whoever does not believe is condemned already. Um, there is a judgment says, this is the judgment that light has come into the world. There's a recognition that people love darkness rather than light. It says people love darkness rather than light. 
And there's a reason for this in that whoever does wicked things or does things against God, the reason they do, do not want to come to the light is because there will be an exposure of their deeds. And these are quite big words. And I'll, I'll hopefully we can um, look at this as we go through. But I want to just set this scene. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 to 3 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And here we see mankind originates in a state where we live in the passions of our flesh. We do whatever we feel like we do, want to do. We carry out the desires of the body. We go by our feelings. We go by our desires. Uh, we go by what we think is best. Um, and we are by our very nature, the Bible says, children of wrath. And that's God's wrath, God's anger. And so these are big words. These are kind of like quite, you know, when we talk about grace, we talk about love, and then we talk about wrath in, or um, uh, God's anger, this, this starts to shake things up a bit. And it says, We are objects of God's wrath because he has determined that our ways are evil. And, um, and so when you look at this, we need to understand that we have a need to be saved. Do you know that you need to be saved? And, um, and if we don't need to be saved, then where, where is the urgency of mission? Why do we tell people about Jesus? If we don't need to be saved, why are we here this morning? Um, uh, or am I sharing this kind of stuff? And some might say, oh, well, it's not about being saved and in, in the sense that it's about knowing Jesus. And that's 100% true. It's about knowing Jesus. And one question I could have for you if you are a believer is if I could prove to you this morning that it doesn't matter what you do in your life, anything goes, you can sin as much as you like and do whatever, because at the end you will go to heaven anyway, would you still be a Christian? There's a question. Would you still live your life following Jesus, listening to Jesus, loving Jesus, serving Jesus? Would you still do that if you knew that it didn't matter what you did, you'd still go to heaven? So in a sense, in that, there's no urgency. In fact, if, we, if, if there was no need to, tell, you know, to save people, then why would, why, the, why would we share the gospel? Why would the Bible say, go into the world and tell everyone about Jesus? Um, in fact, we could stop there if that was the case, but I've got another five pages of notes. But the gospel says that we are separated from God. We are separated from God due to our own choices to live apart from him. And the Bible calls that sin. And it's a condition that we inherit from Adam, our first parent. And it is an affront to God. It's to deny the love and the glory of God. It is to hold God in contempt. It is to say that my way is the better way. And it says that everything that God has created for me, the air that I breathe, the food that I eat, the, the water that I drink, um, the life that, that gives me the ability to get up in the morning is to be used purely for my own selfish desires. That's what sin is. It's defiance of God and the express desire to live apart from him. Now, some people are doing that in ignorance and some people 
are doing that willingly. There are some people that are not yet convinced that even God exists. Uh, there are some who have turned their back on God knowing that he exists and are suppressing the truth in their own hearts. And, um, but we don't realise the grace of God on mankind. We don't realise we breathe his air, we live, there's, there's, there is no life outside of God in the sense that we are able to live and breathe and wander around and have friendships and relationships. Um, there is a grace of God, food abounds, water to drink with laws and governments, though they may not be perfect, they provide a place of relative safety. Uh, we've got schools, we've got education, medicine, we've got charities and communities that are working for one another's best. There's a lots of great stuff that's going on. And some might say, isn't humanity good? Isn't this proof that humanity is able to exist on their own and to do good things? But I want to say to you that I believe that the grace and love of God underpins everything in the world and holds it together. And if God was to remove his grace, all of those great good deeds would fall apart. Romans, uh, in Matthew 5.45, he says this, he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. It's just a picture of his grace. In Romans 2, 4 to 5, it says this about us presuming on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance, a turning from your selfishness to God. But because of your hard and, hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for, your, wrath for yourselves on the day of wrath. God's righteous judgment will be revealed. God's wrath will be revealed and has already been revealed in a sense when we look at the cross, the death of Jesus on the cross. And there may be some that say, well, I don't believe in a God, a God of wrath, but you can't believe in a God of love, which he is, without understanding that he is a God of wrath. And the Bible is clear, and Romans is clear, Ephesians is clear. But the death of Jesus was the outpouring of the wrath of God on Christ when he took on himself the judgment of sin. All those, uh, for the sin of the world, as the Bible tells us, he took it upon himself. And only a perfect sacrifice could do it. Only God could do it. Only a human would satisfy the demands and only Jesus was all these free. So we see in Scripture that we can talk about grace, we can talk about love, we can talk about all the wonderful things of God, but there is a price that was paid for that because something, there was a judgment and there is a judgment coming. And um, such was the pain and agony when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane before he died. Sweat drops of blood, this anguish, not because I believed that he was going to be crucified, the most brutal form of execution, but because he was going to take upon himself the wrath of, of God against sin. And he was going to bear it for me and for those who put their faith in him. So this great wrath of God against sin would take eternity to display itself. And here's a question. If God is so angry against sin the wrath of God built up and filling up. And Jesus used this example. He said that he would drink the cup of his wrath. And that, imagine all the sin that's gone on in the world, that 
is being filled up and filled up to be poured out. And God is so just, he is so righteous, he is so holy, and the, the outpouring of that wrath, I believe, is an eternal thing. You know, there's, I don't remember the last time I've spoken about hell in the church. I don't know if anyone can remind me. Um, but hell is a place of eternal torment. And it makes me think the reason that it is everlasting, one is because we are everlasting beings. Whether we live forever in Jesus or we are in an eternal place of torment, as Jesus speaks about this place called hell more than any other person who writes in the Bible or is recorded in the Bible. It's a place of fire and torment, but mostly it's a separation from light, love and the grace of God. And, and, um, and I want to spend some time us thinking about this because I want us to understand the urgency of the mission, the urgency of knowing Jesus. And we as the church need to understand that as not let alone anyone else. So, and, but when I think about hell, imagine this wrath that God is going to pour out um, and it's going to be an, an incredibly horrible place, to put it lightly. But hell is ultimately, and it's when we start to think about hell, hell, you start at this place where hell is what people are actually asking for. And I don't mean he was asking for it. I mean asking for a place. They want separation from God. They want to, their own, to live by their own selfish ways. And that place, eventually, when God re removes his grace upon the earth, when he comes to judge the world and remove that, that is what that place will be, a place where they are left to their own self with no light, no peace, no joy, no love. An excruciating place, and that's the first thing. It's a place full of pain and regret. It's a burning fire, we read in Scripture. Hell is a place of judgment where the sentence for our sin is outworked. Um, everlasting sentence and judgment. Hell is a place where the wrath of God is poured out on those who did not want Jesus to take it from them. And that's why we have to tell people, this is what Jesus did. He's taken the wrath of God off your shoulders and you can come into that by faith and trusting him for it if you will turn and follow him. Hell comes from the word called Gehenna, which was a real place in Jerusalem. It was in this valley of Hinnom, it was called, and it was a garbage dump of the city of Jerusalem and people would burn their rubbish there and it would create such a stench. Um, and it, it was um, also historically a place where there were child sacrifices. It was a known place of, of, of just stench and fire um, and hell. And Jesus would have been able to point to this place and, say, and talk about hell and say, look, there is a reality of hell. If you want to have a picture in your mind, you look at Gehenna. You look in the valley of Hinnom and he points it and there's this lightness. In Matthew he says, he talks about um, uh, saying to people, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That's Matthew 25. Two Thessalonians, Paul writes in 1, 7 to 9, speaking about the return of Christ. The Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. 
Matthew 13, 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It talks about fiery furnace. And this place is not just a metaphor, a real frightening, horrible place. And my point this morning is not just to fear, put fear but to show the reality of truth. Has God the right to punish for eternity? Has God the right to do that? And my answer to that is God has the right to do anything because he is our creator. Who are we to turn to God and say, you have no right when we live by his very breath? God is righteous. He's a righteous judge and he will exact judgment on all humanity in a righteous way. And some might say, well, that's fine. I think there's a place for people like Hitler. There's a place for the people who are really, really bad. Absolutely, I agree. But that's according to our view of what's right and wrong. When God says in the first commandment, this is a good thing, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your might. And he says, love your neighbour as yourself. And he says, on all these things, on those two commands, the whole um, of the law hangs. And I talked about that last week. But the fact of the matter is, I've never met and there will never be someone who can do that. We will always break that law because we are inherently selfish. And that's why we know if we actually understand it and some people go around and they ask the questions, have you lied, have you ever lied, which is to break the law of God and everyone can never get past that one. But we can't get past the first one. We need the grace of God. We need to give our hearts to Jesus who enables us. That's why the Christian message is not about being good. It's about believing in Jesus. And God is a righteous judge and he will judge the world and he will judge it according to his law. And there is none that will be able to argue against God because I, fundamentally we will stand, as the scripture says, before God and we will see ourselves as we truly are in the light of who he is and we, will, we ourselves will say that I deserve hell. I believe that 100%. God will not have to persuade us and the regret so many will have because they did not obey the good news of the gospel. And how many people sit in churches for years who are effectively sinners because they will not obey the gospel of Jesus. They will not obey that repentance. They're living a lie, trying to be something that they're not. That, if I'm honest, scares me. I don't know about my own life, but that people can miss out on the gospel of Jesus, his love of God, the grace of God right now, come into it right now and then they miss it. They stand before God. And there is none without excuse, the Bible tells us, Romans 1, 18 to 24. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And so many people suppress the truth, know that God is real. But they're not following him because they're saying, one day I will follow. I grew up with many people who said to me, I know that God is real. One day I give my life to God, but I just want to live for a bit. And then whatever living is, because for some reason I, I feel like I've been living an adventure for the last 20, 30 years. 
than when I became a Christian. It says, For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honour him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And uh, us in our Western society may not um, see, think that we have... Um, started to worship animals and so forth, but we worship all sorts of other things. But the biggest thing is, even now, maybe listen to this, there's someone who knows that God exists, but they have not sought out to know whether it's true. And sooner or later, they can miss the opportunity. And so, church, we have an urgent mission to share the good news. Uh, if we, the church, do not understand the gravity and the reality of hell, then how can we have the urgency to share and to step out of our comfort zones and to, to, to learn how we can share and to share our lives? Not just I'm not saying necessarily to go out onto the street corners to shout, but even just to pray and to seek God, which we can talk about a bit later. But um, the message of God is not one of judgment, it's one of love and salvation because as Jesus said in John 3.16, we are already condemned. Judgment is coming when God comes to wrap things up, but the good news of the gospel of grace is here right here today. But many will not receive it because they love darkness rather than light. But God is moving and God says things like this, no one comes to the Father lest the Father draw them. And some might focus on the first part of that, but the second part of that is more important, that God draws people to himself. God is drawing people. But there is an urgency. We don't know when Jesus is coming. Revelation 16 verse 15 says, Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And in that poetic language, he's saying, When Jesus comes, are you ready? Are you leaving, are you procrastinating with your life? Are you leaving that till tomorrow? You're leaving that till tomorrow. Then one day when Jesus comes, will it be too late for you? Will you be ready? It says in Matthew 24, concerning this day and hour, no one knows. This is verse 36, 39. Not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Are you ready for when the Lord returns? Are you ready? Are you ready, church, for when the Lord returns? that you know in confidence, we looked at this in 1 John, when he comes, will you be able to face him in confidence? When you hear that, well done, good and faithful servant, because we were responding to his heart to see many people come to know his love. And so there's an urgency. You know, some might be saying, if you're listening to this, 
Well, if God so loved us, why does there need to be this judgment? Why can't God just forget it all? And this is the answer to that. In a sense, he has. But it's through one person that that provision comes, Jesus Christ. You see, he can't just not deal with sin. He has to deal with sin. He is a righteous judge. And he's done the very best thing. He came, God, in Christ Jesus to make the way that every sin, every bad deed, no matter what it is, can be wiped away. So in answer to that, it has done, but God cannot, by being true to himself as a righteous judge, just let everyone in. Are you ready for the Lord's return? There was a story of a, I always remember, a story of a man. It's a picture, saying this the other day actually. And it was snowing outside and he was in his house and he heard these little kittens meowing and he looked out of his window and he saw there was these small kittens in the snow. It was very cold and they were cold, shivering. He thought, I'll go out and I'll bring them in. I'll put them by the fire and I'll keep them nice and warm, etc. And... Uh, He goes out, he sees them, but as he approaches them, they clearly are scared of him and they run. But he's the one who wants to save them. But as he comes closer, they run away, so he has to be creative. And I really believe, you know, as a church, we need to be creative because people won't listen if we're just telling them stuff. We won't listen and we need to be creative to see people saved. We need to, there may be, there is a time, and maybe, you know, we need to be led of the Spirit, but we need to be connecting with people, we need to be relating to people, loving, serving, uh, demonstrating his love, sharing our testimony or sharing stories of Jesus, and in time, preaching, praying, inviting, and leading people to Christ. See, the thought of hell should make us shudder. Or it should make us pray more fervently. It should make us think of those, if not those just that we love, but those that we don't love and think, if what would it be like if we were in torment and I didn't tell them? See, hell is not a scare tactic to control people, to get people into church, but it is a reality. And sometimes we don't like talking about this because we don't want to be seen to be having a scare tactic. But it is a reality. But the entrance, you know, to this great kingdom of God is so simple. It's trusting in Jesus. It's loving Jesus. You see, if it was really about, you know, to get in, you'll go to hell if you don't pay money into the church if you don't give of your time, if, you don't, if you're not good enough, if you're not doing stuff for me, or if that was the case, then hell sounds a bit dodge. But if it was Jesus gave his life because he wants to invite us into his love, into his peace, into his joy, man has gone their own way, man deserves to be judged because of the decisions they've made, but he's going to overlook that by taking the punishment upon himself. He's made the way. You don't have to do it. He's done it. It's finished. All you have to do is turn and repent from your sin and come into Jesus. Hell sounds like, actually, I see where that fits now. And so as a church, we need to pray, pray, 
and pray that God will move on people's hearts and draw them to himself. We need to be an example of Christ. We need to be intentionally sent people into this world to connect with people, love people practically, practising our our own story of God's grace, share what God is doing in our life, invite people into our lives, pray some more, and when you've done that, pray even more. But if you're watching this and you're thinking, you know, well, this place sounds like a place I do not want to go, and I hope you come to that conclusion. But think about this, that there is a greater place right now where we can come into, and that's life with God. It's not about being a churchgoer, it's about being a friend of Jesus, a son, little s, of God, or a daughter of God, a friend of Jesus. What a wonderful thing, loved by God. And, our, and the way that we come in that, we have to start by asking forgiveness for our own sin and selfishness towards God. It's about turning and walking to him, towards him and his way. It's to make yourself right and asking Jesus to come into your life by the power of the Holy Spirit that enables us to know him and to live for him and to enjoy him, to be liberated in true freedom. Freedom from what everyone else thinks, freedom from all that drives this world that, that in this wrong idea of freedom and joys. You are released from that. You're released from all that's been done of you uh, in you or on you or what you've done, you're released from it into a relationship with God. And, and, I just, and I will pray as I finish now on that, that if there's anyone listening, I implore you to come into the things of Jesus because he is wonderful. And it's not just to get a ticket out of heaven. That's a byproduct. Uh, sorry, out of hell. That's a byproduct. So I'll end on this. It's not about being good but being in relationship with Jesus who will make us like himself. I'm going to pray and then we're going to finish with a song. I'm going to play, not sing. But um, let's just pray. Father, I want to thank you that you have made the way, Lord, out of a deserved eternal torment. Lord, and you did that for me. And I have always believe, Lord, if you can do that for me, you can do that for anyone. Lord, and I just want to pray, Father, that we, your church, would have a proper understanding of hell and the reality that every day people are being sent or people are lining up for hell. Lord, I just want to pray, Father, that you will come and move on this community around us, in our families, Lord, that you would draw people to yourself. Show yourself to be alive. Lord, this great invitation of love, this wonderful grace. Lord, that people may come and know you and that they might be saved. Lord, saved from that place. Lord, I pray for anyone now who wants to know more of you. Lord, that you will come and make yourself known. Help them to know, Lord, what it means to turn from their sin, to be done with it and to walk with you, to invite you into their hearts. Lord, and for anyone who wants to do that, I pray, Father, that you will come and meet them. And Lord, that you will help them to connect with other Christians, to learn what it means to know you more. Father, we just thank you for your great grace. Lord, give us a fire, Lord, in our own hearts, a desire, Lord, to share you with others.
Help us, Lord, to do that. Help us to see the opportunities that you're bringing up. Help us to know the right time. Help us, Lord, to have with the right words. Lord, let us not overcomplicate it, Lord, or anything else. But, Lord, we just want to be led of you. So come and fill your church in Jesus' name. Amen.